Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the third installment in our Dune movie review series. Today I am reviewing Frank Herbert's Dune. This is your host, Corbin. Alan will not be joining me for this review. He is taking somewhat of a hiatus from the podcast. He will still be behind the scenes editing all of the shows, but he is actually going to be returning with me next week for Halloween Kills, and he will be returning a few other times throughout the rest of the year. He will be returning with me to review Denis Villeneuve's Dune here in just a couple weeks, but I am flying solo here on this review. Before I get too far into it, though, no matter where you are at, make sure to give us five stars and a short written review that really does help us in the rankings. It's a great free way to do that. Of course, check the show notes below. The description below has tons of great stuff, timestamps, links to all of our pages, our Patreon page where you get exclusive bonus content and a curated list of podcast episodes we think you'd like to listen to after this one. So definitely make sure to check all of that out. And of course, if you have not heard your guide to Frank Herbert's Dune yet, that released last Thursday. That is the first link in the description below. So make sure to check out how that came to the sci-fi channel. So the first question I have to ask is, will the trailer get me in to see this? Well, the stakes aren't as high. I don't have to purchase a movie ticket. This did come out in December on the sci-fi channel. That December was no accident. It was trying to rival the December is always kind of the Oscar season. It is the big season where families go to the movies. This was presenting itself as an alternative. Stay in, stay warm, and check out this epic sci-fi series in the making. And for the first time, it really is this epic, expansive six-hour edition. Now, having seen David Lynch's version, it's been almost 16 years since then. Dune has been out of sight, out of mind. This trailer, or I guess even just the announcement of Dune, would get me very excited, knowing this was coming to the... Uh, coming to my small screen, but I was going to get more of the story. And I was also going to hopefully be getting some great visual effects that Lynch's version just couldn't really do. Toy Story had been five years gone at this point. It had become a success phenomenon. Pixar was on the rise. So th- knowing that the Sci-Fi Channel was going to be incorporating some, you know, at the time, groundbreaking visual effects, that would also excite me. So this trailer is very exciting. And it kind of looks like a nerd's dream. It just looks like we are going to finally just live in Frank Herbert's world as it always was meant to be for just a long, long time, as long as we needed to. I will say it does feel like a bait and switch, though, because I have seen the entirety of it. I've watched the director's cut almost five hours long. There is a lot this trailer isn't going to show you. The trailer just shows you the exciting stuff, a lot of which 
doesn't come for anywhere from an hour and a half, almost even until four hours plus into this movie. So the trailer for me, I would definitely tune in for the first night, but just be aware they are definitely hyping up this story, whereas there is a lot of drama that just goes on, a lot of still sequences. It's not all action. Well, listeners, if you have not seen Frank Herbert's Dune and you don't want the film spoiled for you, I am actually just going to be rereading the plot from last week. It is essentially the same plot. Of course, there is so much more added into it. I was not going to try the monumental task of condensing a four and a half hour film into a quick plot summary. I am giving a very basic overview, but if you just wanted it to be refreshed on what the film was about, this is the plot, but of course it will spoil the movie. So I hate to say it, but there is no really easy way to actually go watch this movie. Um, you can import it from um, Australia. I know that's true. I don't know if it would even play on your player, but it's not available digitally. Um, but you might find it at your local used video store if that even still exists in your area. But there really is no easy way to watch this film. Just kind of a disclaimer up front. Um, I believe someone has put it up on YouTube, um, the director's cut. I don't know if that's still available, but that might be your easiest way to go check it out. Spice is the most coveted item in the galaxy, and it's only found on the planet Arrakis. Whoever controls the spice controls the empire. House Atreides is taking over Arrakis from House Harkonnen. These two hate each other. Duke Leto, leader of the Atreides, played by William Hurt, wants to live in peace, whereas Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, played by Ian McNeese, is plotting subterfuge at the behest of the Emperor. House Atreides has become too popular. The Harkonnens are easier to control. Let them use the Emperor's warriors to take out the Atreides, and it's a win-win. Once the Harkonnens kill the Duke, Paul, played by Alec Newman, and Jessica, played by Saskia Reeves, flee into the desert where they are adopted by the Fremen. These Arrakis natives come to believe Paul is their messiah. Ultimately, he leads them to victory, defeating the Harkonnens, bringing the Emperor under his control, and avenging his father's death. Now Paul is the head honcho of the galaxy because he controls the spice. One of the first things this miniseries seriously does right is bringing the culture of Dune to life, and even in some ways the ecology. I never felt the world of Dune, you know, the culture, all of that was properly established in Lynch's version. It really was glossed over. I know Lynch shot some of it and it was incorporated back into the extended edition. It just didn't feel like a real lived in world, which is something I really missed because it is so important to Herbert's story. Thankfully, in this version, we get to see the city of Arakeen and we get to see the natives, how they're going through the street. We even get to see more of the house that they live in this kind of big mansion uh, we get a more of a feel for that unfortunately the lynch's version was so constrained and you'll see throughout most of this review this is in some ways kind of a rebuke of lynch's version or even how lynch did some things better it's hard not to compare the two but just for the first thing you know we even get to understand the 
customs of these people and their world. So thankfully, the world building here is far more significant than Lynch attempted. I think one of the other things that audiences will appreciate is that the story and characters are so much more clear. We have plenty of time, in some ways I think too much time actually, to flesh out these characters and this story. Really understanding the character relationships and character arcs and goals is very, very important to Frank Herbert's story. And when you don't have the time for that, you're really not going to understand anything. So thankfully, I would say people who watch this will get the story of Dune and they should be able to understand it. Now, I will rag on the CGI here in just a little bit, but I found it very disappointing that the worms in Lynch's version were entirely underwhelming. At least the worms in this version exert a powerful presence. When they burst through the sand and burst back into the sand and you kind of feel the worms are coming, there is much more of a striking, powerful presence that would give you kind of this sense of awe that I never felt in Lynch's version. It, it felt more like watching Jason and the Argonauts or Sinbad or something, which I love the uh, effects in those, but it's never exhilarating, at least not to an adult anyway, I would say. Now, this may surprise some listeners, but I really digged the Harkonnen design here. It is not terribly intricate, but it is very different. A lot of blacks and reds. The bit we get to see of Gaiety Prime is very, very different than what Lynch came up with. I think the Harkonnen's ruthlessness is better showcased here in this version. Now, there is plenty of perversion on their side, but Lynch seemed to just focus on the perversion and not that these people are really sick, bloodthirsty, very villainous characters that are definitely portrayed in the book. So thankfully, throughout this miniseries, we get time and again that these people are ruthless, especially sometimes we get to see Fade just fight people for fun. And they are fairly brutal fights, which I was pretty surprised about. Um, speaking of Fade, his counterpart, Paul, who is the main character of the story, he is doesn't look a thing like a 15-year-old whatsoever. He looks like a grown man, which is which he is which is unfortunate because I was hoping to get more of a younger Paul, but at least in the beginning, his teenage moodiness comes through. The way Kyle MacLachlan played it was pretty much just straightforward. Not a lot of nuance to his performance, especially it was his first movie. Thankfully, Alec Newman does bring some of those very questioning aspects that teenagers seem to do where they challenge their parents, especially throughout the beginning. I think his arc is decent, um, I don't think he does a great job in any sense of the word. He still is very flat most of the time and gets very, very old to watch and doesn't come across as any kind of dynamic leader. But at least as far as the emotional aspects go, he at least tries to give his character somewhat of an arc throughout the four and a half hours. I was actually surprised to see that there are some scenes cut from the book that Lynch himself incorporated. Thankfully, they're not necessary, so I thought that was a smart choice that this isn't a one-to-one -one adaption. There are some things missing, and there are some new stuff as well, um, particularly the Princess Irulan is given 
a decent amount to do, particularly in the director's cut. I don't think it's completely necessary, but nevertheless, this movie is moving along at a quicker pace, particularly in the beginning. Lynch focuses far more on the beginning on Caladan and getting to Arrakis, whereas this really is just see the Reverend Mother and get to Arrakis. So I was appreciative of that. My last positive for this rendition of Dune is they give us, I feel like, a pretty good final battle between the Fremen and the Sardaukar, the Emperor's people, and the Harkonnens. That all felt a little bit more epic in scope, a little bit more grand. Lynch's version was kind of there and done. It really was confusing and very simple how it all came about. So at least we get a big exhilarating battle to look forward to. Now, this is just my main problem with this film in general. And I think a lot of people will share my sentiment is this is, this is honestly a slog to get through. I found myself clock watching repeatedly. It is incredibly long at four and a half hours, rivaling the return of the king. Now, I understand that this premiered two hours every night across three nights. I watched it across five different days, actually. Um, I really did have to push myself to get through it. I think if you watch one hour at a time, I think you'll be able to make it through it just fine. But after a while, it really does get hard to watch. And I think that comes down to this looking more like a high-tech play than a grand theatrical and by theatrical, I mean in the movie theater, that giant experience that it deserves. It really does feel like you are watching a play. They are on sets. They didn't shoot this in the desert. At least Lynch shot in the desert. So you do get that scope more. These are sets. These are painted backdrops. It, it really is very hard to sit through that for so long. And I would say even some of the design isn't great. You know, maybe, especially in the beginning, some of the design is just a little too futuristic, whereas Lynch introduced this futurism that felt very kind of archaic and old, which is very fascinating to me, unlike anything I'd ever seen, is what I said in the previous review. The designs at least are major departures between the two. No one would ever confuse the design between Lynch's version and Harrison's version. Um, you know, and the other thing that Lynch did right, though, is the costumes. Uh, those costumes are fantastic, I would say, whereas these costumes are bizarre and cheap. And sometimes they're kind of interesting, but they are weird weird hokey weird stuff um i didn't like the costumes at all for the most part some of it's not bad but a lot of it uh, is isn't great um also the first half hour is just not exciting um which is a huge misstep you're really trying to get people excited i understand that the um president of the sci-fi channel at the time said it's sci-fi for people that aren't really into sci-fi because it's more about the political intrigue and drama than it necessarily is about the blasters and lightsabers and all of that stuff, all of that fun fantasy stuff in Star Wars and other things like that. Unfortunately, you really have to grip the audience. And I wasn't gripped for the first half hour, which isn't a good sign for what's to come. Now, I did get into it eventually. And then, of course, it completely lost me. Um, 
Coming back to the costumes real quick, I did think the still suits looked like Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat, especially at night. Um, I thought that was really strange how they seem to just copy some Mortal Kombat stuff, which I know was pretty popular at the time. Also, there is a lot of telling not showing here, a lot of languid dialogue that we have to get through that really isn't necessary. And ultimately, one of my last disappointments is I don't believe Paul's journey. You know, I already touched on how his acting is very meh. In fact, everyone's acting is subpar at best. But his journey from angsty adolescent teen to the messiah of the universe just doesn't really pay off. It feels very perfunctory, unfortunately. Now, I told you I would rag on the visual effects. They are oftentimes very bad. And sometimes they're even hit and miss, especially the Fremen who are supposed to have blue eyes. Oftentimes the blue will just not be there or one eye will be blue. And I don't know this if this was an issue with my copy or what, but this was pretty embarrassing, I would say. And these visual effects are really abysmal. They have not aged well. They just weren't there. Now, I applaud their effort for trying to provide something that we hadn't quite seen. But Star Wars visual effects, and that had been out for 30 years at that point, were far more engaging and far more engrossing than anything this could do. And I know this doesn't have, and I'm not talking about Star Wars, the special edition. I'm talking about even Lucas's regular things, you know, um, the theatrical cuts and even some of the special effects Lynch did were better than this CGI stuff. The CGI creations just weren't there. Um, it's not great. It's not a deal breaker for me, but it is pretty bad. And that is disappointing to see this, like I said, just a really subpar where this is supposed to be an incredible, awe-inspiring space opera, just kind of given the, you know, community theater treatment and a lot of aspects. One of the other things that I wanted to just touch on really quick before I wrap this up, the they ripped off Lynch with the Spacing Guild, the um, Spacing Guild navigators that fly the ship completely ripped Lynch off. They had a weird creature that Lynch made. And then this is another weird, you know, butterfly vampire looking creature that looks strange as can be. I get they're trying to pull people's interest in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Um, but I, I don't really understand that, except that they're homaging Lynch because some of the things they do throughout this, there are sprinkled homages to Lynch, actually Lynch's version throughout this talking about uh, the, the spice must awaken or the sleeper must awaken. That's a quote they say later in the movie and different things like that. So it was really strange. I had to mention that it looks bad. It just looks really bad. Well, as for my concluding thoughts, Frank Herbert's Dune is an ambitious yet ultimately unsatisfying experience. While I do appreciate finally getting to see all the machinations of Herbert's intricate novel come to life, they are oftentimes told in such a dry manner. It's hard to retain interest, especially across the nearly five-hour massive runtime. It doesn't help that it looks like I'm watching a televised play where characters are merely on mediocre sets. I never felt transported to Arrakis like I nearly did with Lynch's version. Now, I do think the world building is better in this one, but it's just not very transportive at times. Also, the budgetary constraints are noticeably stretched thin. 
with a very mixed bag of costuming, often abysmal visual effects that have aged poorly, and theatrically dry Shakespearean acting. Like I said, director John Harrison's vision is ambitious, but he just doesn't have the tools to properly bring this narrative to life, nor do I believe we need to see almost all of the novel's subplots brought to life. I applaud John Harris for being the supposedly sole writing credit on this and adapting Herbert's novel. Now, I don't think it would be terribly hard to give almost a one-to-one -one adaption, but he did have to make cuts, he still did have to type up the script, and I think for that, he did a very good job, he just wasn't able to visually bring it to life the way the source material deserves. While this will only take you about a fourth of the time it takes to listen to the audiobook, and you do get to see the entire story played out for the most part, I have a hard time seeing how anyone is going to strap in for this ride to Arrakis. Frank Herbert's Dune receives 4 stars out of 10, with a solid not recommend. Now, I did actually pick this up at a... Um, at a thrift store on VHS. I got it for like 50 cents or something like that. It was not the director's cut. It was just the US television cut. Um, I did not watch that version. I just went ahead and watched the director's cut. I will say, as I already brought up, just for you to remember, it is almost nigh impossible to get this since the DVD is out of print. You still can buy the DVD. It is very, very expensive unless you go check your local pawn shop or thrift store or Goodwill or something like that. You can get this on Blu-ray. It is an Australian title, so it may not play on your player. But just so you know, as of the time of this recording, this would be very difficult for you to just pick up and add to your collection. I am hoping for a digital release someday for the full director's cut on digital. I think that would be the best way to put this out with hopefully an HD transfer. So other film and TV recommendations I think you should check out are Pitch Black and The Chronicles of Riddick. That they, they have very, very strong similarities in many ways. I just think Riddick does world building, does visual effects, does action far better than this ever could. So three years later, Frank Herbert's Children of Dune landed on the Sci-Fi Channel as another three hour, well, not three hour as another three-night miniseries, adapting the second and third books, Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. According to producer Rubenstein, the scripts for 4, 5, and 6 were underway, but Sci-Fi had not committed to adapting them. They were waiting to see how well Children of Dune was received. Sci-Fi president Bonnie Hammer said the sequels may be continued as a weekly series instead of a three-night event, but those sequels never materialized. So similar to last time, but even with a longer waiting period, we have been waiting 20 years, 10 months, and 19 days, at least here in the United States, until we get to see Dune brought back to life once again with Denis Villeneuve taking the reins this time, adapting at this point just the first part of the novel, and hopefully he will get to adapt the second part as well. Alan and I will be reviewing that on November 1st here in just about three weeks. So you're going to want to make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss our review for the new version of Dune. Unfortunately, it got pushed back. Um, our review should have been out by this point. 
But in the meantime, we will be reviewing the brand new Halloween Kills. And also our Halloween special will be dropping on Halloween Day here in just a little bit. So listeners, the question after the show is, was adapting Dune into this long of a film a mistake? I think it was. I think, although I like seeing, you know, the entire story, I think they just need to find a better way of telling it or condensing it or making it far more visually appealing. I think Netflix or HBO Max could have made this into a miniseries that would have been truly phenomenal, but I'm very, very excited for Herbert's vision. I think making this a miniseries was, with these kind of visual effects, was just ahead of its time. It really just wasn't ready yet, is what I say, but I want to know what you think Send me a message on Facebook, on Twitter, or you can even email me your answer and I will read it on next week's show. So shoot me an email at silverscreenguide95 at gmail.com. The email address is in the description below, right underneath the question. So the question is always down there. Also, curious to know what you think, listeners. Also, while you're sending me an email, tell me if you're looking forward to Denis Villeneuve's Dune, or maybe if you're an international listener, if you've seen it already, and what do you think? I'm very, very curious to know what you all think. We love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends and family, and leave us five stars. And we'll see you next week, listeners, with Halloween Kills. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.